Hey y'all, and welcome back to All Swell, the student-led podcast of the Coastal Society, produced by the American Shoreline Podcast Network. I'm Kara, your host for this month, from the Duke Student Chapter of the Coastal Society. Thank you for tuning in. On today's episode, I'm speaking with Elise Mason about diversity, equity, inclusion, and justice in the ocean and coastal sector and her work in community engagement. Elise, thank you for being here. Thanks so much for having me, Kara. Glad to be here today. I'm so very excited to catch up and hear about your time with the Coastal Society and your current work. But before we do that, let's hear a brief word from our sponsors. The American Shoreline Podcast Network and Coastal News Today are brought to you by Geodynamics, an NV5 company specializing in providing accurate surveys of complex coastal environments worldwide. Driven by marine geology, coastal science, and remote sensing, our researchers use the latest technology to provide meticulous data products to support our clients and answer their toughest questions. Geodynamics carefully designs and executes a variety of hydrographic, geophysical, sub-bottom, and near-shore surveys using our fleet of customized vessels and sensor configuration. You can find us at nv5geospatial.com. Geodynamics, delivering solutions, improving lives. Be sure to subscribe to the Coastal News Today Daily Blast newsletter for our latest updates from around the American shoreline. Like what you're hearing and want to support the network? Sponsorship packages are now available. Go to coastalnewstoday.com slash advertising to learn more. Welcome back. Now let's dive in. Elise, tell me a bit about yourself. How did you get to where you are today? Sure. Uh, So I grew up in Springfield, Massachusetts, uh, which is the western part of the state along the Connecticut River. And when I graduated high school in 2010, um, I was looking to get out, do some exploring. And so um, I did my freshman year of college at Philadelphia University in uh, pre-med studies. And as somebody who had gone to the same school, a charter school from kindergarten through 12th grade, and had never really spent much time away from family besides maybe uh, a week at sleepaway camp, um, it ended up being a really difficult adjustment for me. Uh, So my grades and my mental health really suffered, and I decided to return home and did a semester at community college. And then I transferred to UMass Dartmouth, where I did... um, an undergraduate research project studying the life cycles uh, of the American eel, Anguilla rostrata. And so I got that um, research experience. And when I graduated in 2015, I had my sights set on a career in genetic research, um, but I found it really difficult to find jobs that I was qualified for with my degree in biology. Um, and I didn't really know who to turn to to help me figure that out. So I did what I could do. I worked for a few years um, when I came back to Springfield to go to community college um, at a Chili's and I worked there on and off for about eight years. I moved to Florida with my grandmother and worked out there, um, but didn't really find the jobs that I was looking for either. Uh, So I came back home to Springfield and tried to find different ways to get into lab work and I finally landed a lab technician position at a local private college, uh, which had an undergraduate neuroscience research department. Uh, So 
I worked in animal husbandry at that time mostly, and I oversaw work-study students working in the lab. Uh, So I became somewhat of an informal mentor for a lot of those students um, and somebody who had pretty recently come out of undergraduate, uh, my undergraduate degree. It was nice to have those students come to me for advice and um, just kind of have that community space. And so um, I did that for about a year and a half and, and was feeling a little stuck once again and it wasn't really much room for advancement in that position. And so I had to sit back and figure out what kind of work I wanted to do next. Um, and I knew that from my work in casual dining that I really enjoyed you know, communicating with people and hearing people's stories. I knew that um, I enjoyed the mentorship aspect of working in the school um, and I liked high paced things. And so, and I knew I wanted to be in the sciences, uh, quote unquote, <laughs> this large field of the sciences, whatever that may mean for folks. Um, but being in the lab for most of the day just wasn't going to um, be too satisfying for me. So, um, I had spoken to a few professors that I worked with and who, who had become some really great mentors for me while I was in that position. And then I decided to apply for graduate school at the University of Rhode Island in environmental science and management, uh, their master's program. Uh, and so two things that helped me make that decision were, one, that they had waived the GRE requirement and I had taken the GRE twice and gotten about the same score um, and was not very happy with it and did not have another 200 and something dollars to spend. Um, and so that was a big relief. And then two, their master's program was a non-thesis program. So it wasn't steeped in a research project. Um, it was more geared towards um, preparing you for the workforce. Um, and so that is how I ended up there. And then once I graduated from University of Rhode Island with my master's in environmental science and management and a graduate certificate in community planning, um, I had reached out to a few professors that I worked with and said, you know, I'm looking for work, but uh, kind of something part-time for now because I'm still trying to figure out what's next for me. Even after those two years of school, um, I still was unsure about kind of the career path that I wanted to follow. Um, And so a professor passed along this position and it was uh, the Coastal Society and was working on a grant project with the National Center for Atmospheric Research. And they were looking for a coastal career planner that would help them to implement and organize the events around this grant. And so that's how I ended up coming to work with the Coastal Society. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Elise, for sharing that. And I so appreciate your openness and vulnerability in sharing some of the struggles that you had and your resilience that you've had over time to just continue to open doors for yourself. And I think that's a very inspiring story. I, I too, have a very non-linear background, and so I really identify with your um, excuse me, with your experience in moving forward and, and being able to be flexible as you navigate your career. Um, so let's dive into a little bit more about your time as a coastal career planner with the Coastal Society. Can you describe that work a little bit more for us? Sure. Uh, so I was hired onto this project um, after the grant was awarded. So I didn't actually have a hand in in writing the grant proposal, um, which I know a lot of um graduate students and maybe even undergraduate students have that experience in. Um, 
So my job was to help um, Val Sloan with NCAR, or the National Center for Atmospheric Research, and Tom Bigford with the Coastal Society in designing and implementing this virtual career development programming that was outlined in the grant proposal. So the idea was that we would adapt NCAR's education and outreach resources and the Coastal Society's MAD workshops and focus them on undergraduates and graduate students at minority-serving institutions who were um, in fields that were uh, marine or coastal science, uh, marine or coastal science or marine and coastal science adjacent fields. Um, And so minority-serving institutions are this designation by the federal government um, that falls into these categories when an educational institution serves um, 30% or more of a racial minority population. Um, And that does include historically Black colleges and universities, um, which are a little bit different from some of the other minority-serving institutions uh, because of their uh, legacy coming out of, um, you know, slavery um, and, and the reconstruction efforts that were done after the Civil War to um, try and create spaces for now um, folks who were previously enslaved. Um, And so those education institutions were founded with that in mind. Um, And then the rest of the minority serving institutions came a bit later. We brainstormed as a team about, you know, what were the goals of this grant? Who were we trying to reach? And how would we do that? Um, and so we knew that the project would be virtual because of the COVID-19 pandemic. And, and the idea was that, um, you know, students were missing out on these opportunities to participate in internships and to get this career development um, advice and practice that they may have had access to prior to the pandemic, but um, with a lot of the schools, you know, closing their dorms and having people take classes from home and virtually, we were looking for ways to supplement um, some of those experiences that that students were missing out on or potentially missing out on. Um, and so the, you know, NCAR and TCS do great career development work. Um, and the difference was realizing that students of color, minorities, and and other marginalized communities have different challenges and barriers um, to not only existing in educational spaces and career spaces, but in also achieving, um, you know, achieving those, getting to those spaces and staying in those spaces um, and feeling comfortable and feeling as though they belong in those spaces. And so we had to be sensitive to that going into these spaces. Um, And so it was a a challenging effort to say the least because, um, you know, there's a lot of well-intentioned diversity, equity, inclusion, and justice work. Um, But a lot of the work needs to be led by people of color and people of marginalized communities. Um, and so when you have large institutions um, that have the funding that are that's able to support 
these initiatives, such as career development programming for, you know, students of color at minority serving institutions who may not have the same resources that large R1 institutions are getting or, um, you know, some of the other colleges and universities around the country. Um, we were just trying very hard to to provide something, a provide a resource in a way that um, best served those students and their experiences. For sure. Thank you, Elise, for that really thoughtful answer. And I, I think you really hit on something. There's a difference between being well-intentioned and doing something very intentionally. And with regard to DEIJ, uh, diversity, equity, inclusion, and justice initiatives, sometimes it can kind of feel like just checking a box and not the right people or the representatives are leading those initiatives. And so I really, really commend your work and your stepping up um, and being able to acknowledge that and being very intentional, (laughs) again, not just well-intentioned, but very intentional in executing the work and making sure that students of color um, have those resources and have those people to uh, lean on in their in their career planning and in their um, in their education. So, what were some of your major takeaways from your experience working with the Coastal Society as a coastal career planner? Sure. Um, oh, I have so many, um, but I'm going to try and break them into uh, professional takeaways and personal takeaways. And they may kind of get muddled because I, between this job and the job that I do now, I more and more realize that, um, you know, your personality does affect your your profession. Um, but I think professionally, my biggest takeaway is, you know, I think and I say this with love to the generations that have come before us, uh, you know, I think that we've been a little bit bamboozled by this career path slash dream career narrative uh, that's been circulating for some decades now. And um, I find that a lot with with the sciences is that, um, you know, sciences are going to be researchers and academics and this is your career path and you follow these steps and then you achieve X, Y, Z. Um, Yeah, you know, and and I just, you know, the world is changing. We are we have more information at our fingertips and more opportunities now than maybe a lot of years before us. and my biggest takeaway is that your career path is only one facet of what makes you whole and what makes you feel good as, as a person. And so um, I was just able to kind of set that apart for myself and realize that, you know, all the work that I do is important. All the work that I have done informs all the work that I will do. Um, and that knowledge and that understanding and being able to bring that into spaces of mentorship or spaces of community um, has been really valuable for me. Um, and I guess on the more personal note, one of my biggest takeaways is that, you know, during the year or so that I was working in this position and, and kind of struggling with you know, the big, big questions about di- what is diversity? Why are we trying to incorporate it into these major institutions? 
um, you know, what does a science career give you or how does it set you apart from other people or things? And um, I, I, I had to take a step back and I realized that I was always seeking validation in was I a good scientist? Was I a good student? And I really let that um, maybe hinder some of my other opportunities. Um, and I wasn't always able to just enjoy the learning process or enjoy being a part of the team because I was so focused on making sure I was doing things right and making sure people knew that I was doing things right and they looked good. Um, and so uh, one of my biggest takeaways is to just, you know, find ways to have that validation within myself. Um, and, and I would advise that other students can, you know, explore what that means to them and, and figure out if, you know, the sciences are, are a high, there's a lot of expectations that come with, you know, being a scientist or wanting to do science and study the world. Um, and it's much more than I'm going to write an article and discover something. Um, but it is a lot of what science does is to present information and see and say, look at what I've discovered, look at what I can do. Um, and, you know, sometimes that doesn't serve us in, in, in the best ways. And so, yeah, one of my biggest takeaways is to, to acknowledge that I am just as good of a scientist as I am a person, as long as I put in the effort to do that. And I do my best. Wow. Elise, nominating you for life coach right there. That was incredible insight. <laughs> I, I mean that so deeply, both your professional takeaway and your personal takeaway. And as you were talking about your personal experience, I really resonate with that a lot. And I think many of our listeners can too. To your point, the, the ocean and coastal sector, just science in general, is very high pressure, high expectations. You've got to get published. It's very linear, kind of like we said at the top. Um, and it can be challenging to remember to essentially enjoy the journey and remember that you're not alone and really engage with the community as a whole. Because at the end of the day, I think you, I don't want to speak for you, but I can assume you probably feel the same that at the end of the day, working together is how we actually achieve great work. <laughs> and so, yeah, I'll, I'll get off my tangent on that. But wow, that was super powerful. Thank you so much for sharing your professional and personal takeaways. I think that is um, great life advice for anyone, <laughs> uh, but also wonderful that you were able to gain that experience so early in your career. And you also touched on this a little bit too, your your new position. Um, and so I'm curious, can you share a little bit more about that work and maybe how your time with the Coastal Society informed your advocacy work in the community? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I currently work as Community Engagement Manager with the Transportation for Massachusetts Coalition, uh, which is a statewide policy advocacy group. Uh, that organizes around and advocates for safe, affordable, reliable transportation policies at the local and state level. Um, and there's also a bit of interaction with federal policy as well, um, and specifically with issues around transportation justice. Um, so just as in a lot of the marine and coastal science fields, the transportation world is pretty heavily dominated by straight white men. Um, and has been and continues to be for years. Um, and that's been a source of barriers for people of color, not only in 
careers in transportation, but in those that are affected by decisions that are made by transportation officials. Um, And so that approach of assessing who's in power here, what does that, and how does that power dynamic affect mobility, whether that's physical mobility, social, economic mobility um, of Black people, of Indigenous people, of genderqueer people, of disabled people, you know, and any mix of, of these, you know, intersectional identities. Um, and that is very similar to the approach that um, I took when I came into working with the Coastal Society. Um, and so I, in this role, I communicate with our coalition members in the range of fields that they occupy, whether that's in business or munic- municipal state leadership, religious organizations, environmental justice groups. All these groups have different needs and approaches that are related to transportation, but also related to so many other social factors. Um, and so all these groups have different needs and approaches that affect why they're part of our coalition and the number of organizing strategies that we can employ as an advocacy group um, to, to push forward policies that are fair and just and meet the needs of everyone. Um, and so that is similar and different to, to, you know, working in careers in the coastal and ocean sciences and, and mentoring students about, you know, how they make decisions about where they want to go and how they want to get there. I mean, <laughs> transportation touches a lot, um, just as, you know, the marine sciences and the ocean and coastal sciences can end up touching a lot of different uh, fields and, and concerns of people. You know, advocating for justice is ongoing. It, it's something that never ends because it, it requires ultimately to succeed at achieving justice. It requires completely dismantling whatever the status quo is. And that's very, 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 very difficult to do no matter what sector you're in, no matter what field you're in. Um, and so again, find a community, finding people that are, have shared values and and working closely with them, you know, to push, to push the scales. It has been something that I learned, um, a lot how to do coming out of this position in coastal career planning. Um, and so a lot of the, uh, actual work, the day-to-day activities, um, like setting meeting agendas, communicating tasks and deadlines clearly and effectively, knowing when to seek outside help and expertise. Um, those are things that I learned from my position in, um, with the Coastal Society doing co- coastal career planning um, and really how to be a leader and take initiative. Um, and those were lessons that we were trying to impart on the students that were coming into our, our workshops and our webinars. But um, I absorbed a lot of that and I, I didn't always realize that I was doing it, but I'm glad I'm glad I was. I'm glad I had that opportunity. That's awesome. <laughs> and it's very clear that you have so much passion and experience in community advocacy and, of course, DEIJ. And I will say, I think your your point about transportation, it does touch so many different things and it really does require a huge overhaul of the quote unquote system. Um, but here at Allswell, we are a solutions focused podcast, as you know, and I do want to just put you on the spot and ask you uh, one hard question before we get to a, a fun one. Um, what is one thing that each of us can do to increase diversity, equity, inclusion, and justice? in the ocean and coastal sector? 
Yeah, you said a hard question and you weren't kidding. (laughs) (laughs) I love throwing (laughs) curveballs. Yeah. Um, And, you know, this is really a tough question for me because there is no one thing. I think that there are a lot of things that we all need to do at different points and times in our lives. But um, I believe one of the most necessary things is to question our assumptions about what it requires to be quote unquote successful. And I know I kind of brought that up a little bit earlier, but um, what is your definition of success as a student or professional um, in the ocean and coastal sciences? And how is that informed by your life experiences? You know, how is that informed by the, the things that you had access to, the spaces that you had access to um, or did not have access to? And because jobs and careers are always more than just a job, um, it's an economic means to an end, but each of us are just trying to live a satisfying and fulfilling life. And, you know, for those marginalized communities that I had mentioned above, uh, you know, these assumptions that we tend to have about people that look different from us or, or are have different experiences is the assumptions in academia and professional spaces continue to relegate these communities to being less than less knowledgeable, less capable, less deserving. And that comes out in a lot of our, our lessons. And it's, it's so ingrained that we don't always question why we assume that things should be the way that they are, or things are the way that they are. Um, and so, um, Yeah. Find ways to question your assumptions, uh, whether that's journaling at the end of the day, uh, whether that is having regular meetings with a mentor, um, whether that is finding a support group, uh, you know, find ways to to kind of shake up your thought process. So, yeah, that would be uh, my advice or one thing that that we can do and read and and read stories by black people. It don't have to just be about science, um, you know, read stories about indigenous people from indigenous people written by indigenous people given by, you know, gender, queer people, trans people, people with disabilities. Um, listen to what they're saying and and use that to question the assumptions about what you think, you know. That's great, Elise. I love that advice. Uh, To your point, it's not just one thing, but it's a constant thing we can do, each of us can do, and really challenge those assumptions and ask yourself why. That's very powerful. And I think I like your advice of uh, doing a little daily journaling. Maybe now in all of my free time, now that I'm not in grad school anymore, (laughs) I can that up a little bit. We'll see. Um, But you hit on a great point, right? Read stories by those people, right? And so my last question, you you segued perfectly into it, Elise. Do you have any trusted DEIJ resources or suggested readings that you'd like to recommend for, for our listeners today? Well, I've got two right off the bat. I'm sure I have more, but one is a journal article um, and it is a 2022 paper um, by... Um, I believe the professor's name is Asmaret Berhe, B-E-R-H-E, et al. And it's titled, Scientists from Historically Excluded Groups Face a Hostile Obstacle Course. I believe it was in Nature. um, And it um, has got this really great graphic on the front page. And it shows the difference between um, the leaky pipeline metaphor, which is often used to describe um, DEIJ efforts and, and retaining students of color um, 
And it flips that and presents it with this hostile obstacle course uh, metaphor. Um, And so I just think it's really insightful and it's really important um, to be shared and spread. Um, And I also just saw on my Twitter that um, Professor Berhe was uh, nominated to like the head of the Department of Science at the Department of Energy at the United States or for the U.S. And so, um, yeah, so now 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 she's a super big name. Um, And so the other reading is. It's a it's a book. It's not necessarily a DEIJ resource per se, as it was created. Um, But I think it's a book that everyone should read and marine and ocean and coastal sciences, scientists particularly. Um, But it's called Undrowned, Black Feminist Lessons from Marine Mammals. And it's by Alexis Pauline Gums, G-U-M-B-S. And it's this amazingly poetic uh, series of, of meditations around you know, what do marine mammals have to teach us about the struggles against these institutions, against capitalism, against things that are really dangerous to our, our collective well-being um, and our future as, as we have to survive? And she speaks particularly to, to um, you know, folks that are entangled into these systems. And it, it's just... It's an amazing book and I suggest everyone read it. It also has a series of activities at the end that are individual activities and group activities. So if you read it in a group, um, you can do those activities together with your group. If you read it individually, there's activities where you can take and it kind of you know leads into that idea of journaling and reflecting on your assumptions. And um, it's a beautiful, beautiful story. I, I suggest everyone read it. So those are my, those are my reading suggestions. <laughs> Awesome. Love it. Adding both of those to my list. You spoke so highly of them, so I must read them. Um, But thank you so much, Elise. It has been a pleasure speaking with you. And thank you again for joining us on All Swell today. Thank you so much, Kara. I'm so glad to be here. Thank you so much. And thank you to all of our listeners and to the American Shoreline Podcast Network and the Coastal Society for supporting this show. This concludes season one of All Swell hosted by the Duke University and East Carolina University student chapters of the Coastal Society. When we first developed this idea for this podcast, we wanted to focus on issues and expert solutions by asking ourselves, is everything all well with the coastal sector and our environmental management of coastal and ocean resources? Thus the punny title, all swell? Kira, Gigi, Eva, Nora, and I have all enjoyed this journey so much and are so grateful for our dedicated listeners. Stay tuned for updates about next season. Be sure to follow at the Coastal Society on Instagram. And remember, where there's a will, there's a wave.